no doubt that God's doing something very special around here in the midst at the palace. And I know I'm getting maybe a little bit of repetition, but I want to drive that home, and I want us to really begin to see what God is doing. You'd almost have to be blind not to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon the people. You'd almost have to be blind not to see God moving amongst us. And you'd have to almost be deaf in order for one not to hear the rumbling of the Spirit of God in the spirit realm. There is a move in the mulberry trees like there was in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 24. And it's hovering over this palace. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 5, 24, and let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. This is when God went before David to smite the Philistines. And David David would know that this was going to be happening when they heard the rustling of the sound of the leaves in the top of the mulberry tree by the moving of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, like a wind, would move over that region and he would move so fast and so swiftly that the leaves of the mulberry trees would begin to dance and make music unto God in response to the Spirit of the living God. In other words, the literal trees and the literal leaves of the trees would begin praising and electrifying the atmosphere. And matter of fact, this is why that Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55 and 12, speaking of God, fulfilling his word and accomplish his will among the nation of Israel. He said, this will be a sign that I am among you. He said, this is how that you're gonna know that I'm with you and that I'm fulfilling my word among you and causing wonders to happen in your midst. Cannot, let me just stop right here and say, there cannot be no wonders and signs without praise. Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 12, for you shall go forth with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Notice what Isaiah writes. He said nature itself is going to begin to respond. It's going to break out in praise. Mountains are going to sing. A choir made of rocks is going to begin to cry out. You remember when the Pharisees were told, told, told uh, begin to tell, tell Jesus to rebuke the disciples in the multitude for praising him when they were singing and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us that the multitudes and the disciples were rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice because of all the mighty works that he had seen them do. Now they just wasn't saying Hosanna, Hosanna. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes. They were screaming it at the top of their lungs. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees say, why don't you rebuke them? Why don't you shut them up? And Jesus says in Luke 19 and 40, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, that the very rocks and the very stones will begin to cry out to me. He also said in Isaiah, the trees of the field are going to clap their hands. Spiritually speaking, the natural ear is not going to hear it. But I want to tell you, it's time that the church gets some spiritual.
spiritual discernment and understand what's happening in the atmosphere. I want you to know right now as I'm speaking, I hear it in my spirit that literally the elements of the earth are crying out to God. They're praising God. There's something happened. There's something stirring around here. The wind is going to cause the leaves again at the palace of praise to move and to make noise like the sound of the mulberry praise. The sound of praise is coming back to the palace of praise and it's coming back with force and it's coming back with power. You've never seen the likes of where we're headed. You don't understand where we're about to go in. You don't understand what God's about to pour out amongst us. If you believe that, clap your hands and praise the Lord. Amen. Because of time, I'll shorten it. I won't quote all the scriptures, but it's the same wind that blew at Pentecost. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them clothed in tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost to begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. But not only would you have to be blind and deaf for you not to detect God moving around here, but you would also have to be cold, numb, and indifferent like the scribes and the Pharisees for one not to feel or detect the presence of the Spirit of God in this place. Nature itself is responding, folks. The atmosphere is charged, and the elements of the earth is actually speaking right here, right now. The very air that we breathe is alive. The very space that we take up is electrifying. The grounds are anointed. Matter of fact, just here recently, this has happened in our past, but it's happened right here in our recent. A minister had came by, and he had seen our building, and he didn't know what it was and he wanted me to give him a tour and I gave him a tour he walked in and when he walked out of our office area he stopped and he paused and he shook he said oh my goodness what is that I said what do you mean he said oh and he almost started crying there the presence of God is in this place he said what's going on around here y'all in revival I said brother we try to stay in revival amen and another minister came by and he was thinking about building and he wanted to see the building so I began to take him in. Same thing happened. Oh, Andre told me, he said this many times to me. He said, Pastor Miller, I travel the world. I go from all over, from continent to continent, nation to nation. He said, you got something very unique, you at the palace. He, he said, you got an old line Pentecostal anointing, and whatever you do, do not let go of that. Don't compromise. Don't, 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 don't just uh, let it get away from you. Don't let it slip through your grasp. It, but you know what? You know, sometimes I get up here and I begin to preach and I love to feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I love to feel that mantle come upon me. I love to feel the presence of God. It's almost like I want to right now say, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground here this morning. We're in the presence of the Holy One here today. Can I have an amen? Can you just praise him right where you're at? Can you just magnify the Lord with me? Glorify his name above the heathens let his praises be heard and ring throughout the land no doubt there's been a shift a change of moving of the heavenlies over us here at the palace there's a spiritual overtone in this place there's a sense of electricity in the air 
there's an atmosphere of the anointing. There's a cloud of expectancy. Anybody with any discernment at all can detect this. Uh, people that visit here, they write us a lot of times. They'll email me. They'll call me. And they'll say, oh, we wish we lived in Popper Bluff. Oh, we wish we could come to church there. As a matter of fact, there are two different couples that I know that live 90 miles away. They live in the same area. They live up around the Flat River area. And the, uh, that ain't Flat River anymore, but it's Park Hills. And, and they said to me, said, we're really contemplating driving 90 miles one way just so that we can come to a church where we can feel the presence of Almighty God. Anybody with any discernment at all can detect there's something strange taking in place. There's a stirring in the mulberry trees. People are coming in and their number one saying that they have is God's up to something in this place. Oh, God's moving in this place. You say, well, what, what are you doing? Are you bragging? No, I'm just a, I'm just a frog croaking, croaking for my own pond. Can I say amen? I'm just here to make us aware God's doing something in our midst. Can I have an amen? Oh, somebody ought to get excited with me here this morning. Hallelujah. People are discerning of the time. They're anticipating. They're expecting. They're believing that God is beginning to move. Faith is rising. Faith is building in this place. There's more people excited and there's more movement now today than there has been in the last several years. And remember, expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. God's about to pour miracles and signs and wonders out in our midst. But notice in the context of every single one of these examples that I gave to you, from David's writing and even Isaiah's writing. They all happen in the midst of battle. They happen in the midst of war and struggle. Even though I know that we have turned a page, we have went up a notch and we've entered into a new season, we have went into a higher level and a new dimension, spiritually speaking, I really believe that. But just because we went into a new level, a new realm spiritually, that does not mean that there won't be opposition and that there won't be struggle in war. Matter of fact, you've heard the old cliche for each new level you go to, there's a new devil to fight. There's a new devil to face. Some think revival is the absence of war and struggle and opposition. But God said it this way to me. When there is an increase of opposition, that means you've already arrived into your promise. And I never looked at it like that. I said, God, oh, he gave me a rhema word. Some think that revival is the absence of struggle. In reality, God is saying, when you see the struggle, that is sure evidence that you have come into your promise. We think that the enemy is fighting against us to keep us from going into promise, but in reality, they're fighting us while we're living very in the very midst of promise. They're trying to stop us of our promise. The thief is out to kill, to steal, and destroy. The devil is a liar. He's an accuser of the brother, and he's sitting here trying to let you believe one thing. In reality, you have even lost the reality of what you got and where you're at. Can I have an amen? Somebody help me preach right here. Oh, I wish I could say that again. They're trying to keep us from building upon the promises of God that we've already received. Can I tell you, we need to quit saying revival's coming, God's doing something, and start saying revival's here, God is moving. Declare it, decree it, believe it, speak it, say it, talk it, and for heaven's sakes, let's start living it. We're in revival. Amen? Now listen to this. God showed me this. He just spoke it to me. The giants wasn't on the outskirts of Canaan. They lived and possessed Canaan. 
The children of Israel didn't fight them on the outsides of the perimeters of their promise. They fought the giants as they entered into the realm of promise. And the opposition that you're fighting is nothing more than evidence and indication that you've arrived into your promised destiny. Now it's time to walk it out and appropriate it. It's time to lay claim to the provisions that the cross has already provided for us as believers. It's ours. Can I have an amen? Look around. We have the evidences of his presence everywhere. People are being saved. People are being delivered. People are being touched. Just like the spies, they carried back a cluster of grapes on their shoulders. They carried it back into the camp of Israel, and this is what they said. Surely, this is a good land that flows with milk and honey. It's just like God said it was. When you go back and you look at the literal translation, it says one cluster of grapes was put on a pole carried by two men. They put it one cluster of grapes. Can you imagine that? You get a little cluster now. What are they, about like that? And they dang on, you pick it off. One cluster was so huge that they put it on a pole and they carried, that's how plentiful and fruitful the land was. But then there was a problem spoken by the children of Israel. He says, well, the land's just like God says it was, but there be giants that dwell there. Their eyes got on the problem instead of the promise and they say, we're like grasshoppers in their side. That's where we're at so many times. Our eyes is upon the problem and not the promise that stares us right in the face. I don't want the problem. I'll take the promise over the problem any day of the week. Can I have an amen? Here's what they were saying. We admit everything God has said is true, but we can't get what he has promised because there's giants that's opposing us. They're stopping us. Isn't that exactly what happens to us in a spiritual sense? We get blessed. We get touched. We get encouraged. We get moved on by God. We get edified. We get built up in a service. And then the next morning, we're facing the very next day with the reality of war and struggle and we lose heart and we say, oh, but there's giants here. We say, oh, I thought I arrived. Oh, I thought I was healed. Oh, I thought I was delivered. I thought I had received. I thought I obtained only for us to wake up to the fact that there's still giants standing in our midst. We can come down here on a Sunday night and get blown away with God and get up and we feel like, oh my goodness, we've won, we're victors and we walk out on Monday morning, we wake up and the first thing that happens a discouraging phone call or the, uh, the pain comes back or, or, or the, a voice comes come on somebody a fight begins to break out but the real truth is you did arrive in your promise but just because you've arrived doesn't mean that the devil is going to go away so easily let me ask you a sobering question here this morning since when did the child of God ever allow a giant to stop him from obtaining God's promises can I have an amen I remember one time that I, when I was a young boy, I had nosebleeds all the time. Went to the doctor and they'd put a hot iron on it and burn it and burn it with cocaine and everything else. And it, it would last just a little while and it'd start bleeding again. And if sometimes if I didn't get to a hospital, I could have literally bled to death. That's how bad they were. And when I got saved and, of course, the nose started bleeding, we was in a service and the, the Brother White come around and he asked me what I was up there for and I said, I need to be healed of nosebleeds. He laid his hands upon me and God healed me. Without a shadow of a doubt, I knew it, man. I was healed. And a few weeks later, or maybe a week, I don't even know how much time it was. It very long. I get up and I've taken a bath and I get up and all of a sudden just boom, it breaks loose. And blood was going everywhere. And I got in the mirror and I looked at it and I was trying to stay 
stop it. And I thought, man, I thought I was healed. All of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord rose upon me. I looked at myself in that mirror. I said, Nose, you are healed in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not going to put this back upon me. This is false evidence. I know by the stripes of Jesus. I rebuke. Boom. Immediately, it was healed. Oh, that lasted for a long time until one Sunday night, my pastor asked me to preach. I get up and I start preaching. And right in the middle of the sermon, the nose broke loose. And I thought, oh, it was mocking me. It was loudly speaking to me. It was telling me what kind of a failure I was. It was telling me that I believed a lie. It was telling me I testified. And now look in front of everybody. You testified of being healed. And now look what's happened to you. If you'd kept your mouth shut, this wouldn't have happened. But you had to go testify. That made the enemy mad, so he tried to prove me wrong. And I stood there, and all these voices were saying that kind of stuff to me. And all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? I looked at that congregation. I said, you may not, it may not appear that way right now, but I've been healed of this nosebleed in the name of Jesus Christ. And if I bleed to death, I'm going to preach this sermon. I had a white shirt on and a suit. Blood was going all over. It was just beat red. And when I got done, all of a sudden, not even, no more than... 10 seconds after I said that to that congregation, whoom, that nose was totally healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've never bled since. I'm here to tell you sometimes you gotta stand your ground. Sometimes you gotta hold on to your promise. Sometimes you have to get in the face of your adversary and let him know you believe and you stand on the promises of God. I somebody stand and praise him here tonight. Hallelujah. Well, glory! We gotta learn how to fight! I told Randy West, I'm gonna preach 20 minutes today. I'm sorry, I'm lying, I feel the anointing. Since when did God ever tell us to retreat, to stop, to pull back, roll over, lay down, and quit? Come on, somebody. Since when did God say, get over in your corner and feel sorry for yourself and have a pity party? When did he tell us to murmur and gripe and complain and moan and groan? Come on. Some say, well, the giants are too big, and they would be right. I agree with the adversary. They're right. They're bigger than I am. Some would say, we're outmatched. We're outnumbered, we're too small. They'd be right. Some would even say, we see the promise. It's dangling in our reach, they'd be right. But then they say, but them promises are only tormenting us because we can't have it or get it or grab it or take hold of it because the giants prevent us from obtaining and they would be wrong. God never makes us promises. He doesn't give us the ability and the power to take hold of them. Amen? The giant is always out to make a dream become a nightmare. He's always out to be a goal stopper, a vision destroyer, and a hope killer. Amen? And this is where our text comes in. Oh, I love this passage. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalms 8 and 2 of our text. Out of the mouth of babes and suckling, thou hast ordained strength because of thy enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. There's a difference between the enemy and avenger. We're not going to get into that. 
But Jesus Christ quoted that same scripture to the chief priest and the scribes in response to a question that they asked him in Matthew 21. They asked him, do you not know what they're saying about you? Do you not know they're talking about you out there? Do you not hear them? Well, they're calling you the son of David. They're calling you king. They're calling you Messiah. They're singing and they're praising and saying, Hosanna to you. Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Do you not hear that? You know what Jesus says in Matthew 21 and 16? Yes, I've heard. I love that. But you have never, but have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Oh, now hold on. I'm about to preach here. Zach, I'm about to get in and out, bud. He was saying, do you not know that it was the scripture? Do you not know that that was in the scripture? Do you not know that this was in the word of God? Do you not understand what they're doing? They're doing what the word of God tells them to do. Come on, somebody. He said, you're chief priests, you're scribes, you're spiritual leaders. You should know what is happening here. You should know what the word of God says and what the word of God has commanded you to do. Notice how that Jesus promoted praise and notice also how ignorant and aloof to praise that these spiritual leaders were actually uh, from uh, in order of the order of praise. They were cold and indifferent to it. They were not friendly. They were not forthcoming with it. They stood off from it. They actually ignored it and they were ignorant of it. But not only that, folks, it irritated them and it, and it annoyed them. There's a lot of church people annoyed by true praise. They're irritated by it. They don't see no need in it. There's a great deal of good religious people that want to be spiritual, but they want to do it from the absence of true biblical worship and praise. True biblical praise can scare people off. We've scared as many off as we've gained. Amen. So that's not a good thing. Yeah, it is. You got to keep an atmosphere of what you believe. True biblical praise can scare people off because it can become radical, loud, expressive, emotional, forthcoming, active, open. Come on. According to the word of God, the multitudes was openly, loudly, and passionately saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hey Amen. They were expressive. They waved palm branches before him like we wave flags sometimes. They took their coats off, coats off and laid them before him where he could ride upon them. For praise to be forthcoming, it means it's something required. Did you hear that? It's even uh, God making it available for us of when he wants it and when it's needed for our life. I like that definition because I want to tell you God requires it. And not only that, he makes it available for us. He gives us the right to do it. And thirdly, it's when he wants it. And secondly, it's when we need it. We need to learn how to praise. I don't have to preach to you, surely, but I think you know that praise is commanded in Scripture and we are to praise God continually. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise continually. Say continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And notice this, praise has to be spoken, has to be verbal. It's from the fruit of our lips. 
Some people say, well, I'm praising the Lord and they never make a sound. No, you may be inwardly and God hears that from time to time, but I want to tell you, true praise is verbal and you're not ashamed of it. You speak it. It was David that said in Psalms 34 and 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. Say all times. His praise shall continually. Say continually. And then he says, be in my mouth. Say mouth. It's a verbal expression to God. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4 and 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Say always. And again, I say rejoice. Psalms 113 verse 3 says, From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. From sunrise to sunset, the Lord's name is to be praised. There are over 200 times that we are commanded commanded by God to praise him, not counting the times that were exhorted to praise him, not counting all the expressions and the examples and the different stories of worship. The psalmist summed it up when he penned the words of Psalms chapter 150. He starts out that Psalms by speaking of the various instruments that is to praise him. I'm not going to quote all that because of time. I'm trying to get in that 20 minutes, I told Randy. Matter of fact, he says, you know, praise him on the trumpet, praise him on the cymbals, the high send of cymbals, the organs, and the stringed instruments. He gives you a list of things of the instruments we're to praise him with. The drums. He speaks of the different places that we are to praise. Praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. And he begins to tell us the different places to worship him. And then he speaks of how that we are to praise him in the various different ways. He says, praise him with the clapping of the hands. Praise him with the, with the dance. Praise him with the shouting. You know, sometimes people break out into a dance and there are people saying, man, they let anything. What is this? Is this a bar hop? No, I tell you what it is. It's a spiritual dance before God that pleases him. Can I have an amen? But he closes that chapter and he sums it up by saying this. He says, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Woo. How many of you have breath here today? If you don't have breath, you're dead. Can I have an amen? How many of you are breathing here today? If you're breathing, then you're to be praising God. Let everything that have breath. Praise ye the Lord. That's why the psalmist said in Psalms 146 verse 2, while I live, I will praise the Lord. While I will sing praise to him while I have any being. In other words, what he was saying, while there's life in this body and while there's air in this, these young lungs, I'm going to praise the Lord. Every time I inhale, then I'm to exhale a praise to God. <gasps> Hallelujah. <gasps> Glory. <gasps> praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, I'm about to preach. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. For praise to be forthcoming, it is a person that's willing to divulge their true inner feeling about God without reservation. They're not embarrassed. They're not reserved. They're not timid. They're not afraid to speak, to yell, to proclaim, to dance, to praise, to clap their hands, to express themselves. True praise is when you don't give a flip what anybody thinks. Amen. I'm not doing it for you to like it. I'm doing it for him to like it. And let me tell you, if you're set here with all your attention on what I'm doing, you're not doing anything yourself in the form of praise and worship. And I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to be your clown. I'm here to magnify the Lord and praise his holy name and say it don't matter what men may say. I praise and exalt thee who's on high. Let everything.
thing that had breath. Praise ye the Lord. Can you have it? Somebody praise him in this house. To have true praise, you have to be willing to open oneself up to God and make oneself open to criticism, ridicule, rebuke, mockery, laughter. Oh, I know everything's got to be done decency and order by Scripture. I'm not talking about that. But praise can cost you something. Praise can be a sacrifice. And praise can make you very vulnerable. Praise is a function of life. It brings life. It resurrects life. It breeds and spreads life. It's communicable. Communicable means to communicate to others. It rubs off. It spreads. It's contagious. It's transmitted one from one to from one to another. Somehow it just you get to praising it, just starts rubbing off on your fellow man. Come on, somebody. John Gerald's mother. I was raised in church with him, and John's mother's a very spiritual lady. And every once in a while, she'd just get into the spirit. She'd start laughing. Her mouth would open up that wide. And she'd laugh, and she couldn't control it. And before long, you were laughing, and you don't even know why you were laughing. You just got caught up in it. It just become communicable. I just need just a few. I, you know, everybody says, every church needs the church just to break out and pray. Oh, all we need is some authentic worshipers. That'll take care of itself because it's contagious. There's something about it, it resurrects life. And matter of fact, did you know you can determine a church, if a church is alive or not, by its praise and worship? Some say, oh, that's not the measuring stick of the church or, spiritual, or, or, or how spiritual it is. Y'all, Pentecostal are too, too emotional. I beg the difference. You know why? Because Psalms 115 verse 17 said, the dead praise not God. If it's a dead church, it's not a praying church or a praising church. If it's a praising church, it'll be a live church. Can I have an amen? You can say whatever you want. You can smoke screen it, cover it up, decorate it. But if the church is lethargic and sluggish and apathetic and cold and indifferent, when it comes to praise, it's dead. It's not alive. It's not spiritual. I don't care how you want to package it. I've seen people that have know the scripture inside out, upside, much better than I. Quote it more than I can. Man, they're theologians. Come on. But when it comes to praise and worship, somehow they've become so informational that they've been voided from the transformational act of experience through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Look what Jesus said about praise in our text. In the Old Testament, he used the word strength to describe praise. Out of the mouth of babes and suckling, thou hast ordained strength because of thy enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. But in the New Testament, he quoted that very scripture, but he quoted it differently. Somebody said, what did he take the scripture out of context? Folks, he's the author of the scripture. He can do with it what he wants. Can I have an amen? But he's trying to show you in the Hebrew, he uses the word strength to describe it. But listen to what he does in the Greek. In Matthew 21, 16, yes, I've heard, but have you not read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? In other words, he said every time that these babes open their mouths it produ in praise, it produces strength. And isn't it odd that he uses babes and sucklings for his example? In other words, he's saying to the most least, like, most least likely, to those that have no strength, they don't have the ability, they're babes, they're suckling, little, little infants. 
He said, when they praise me, they get ordained with strength. And a baby praising God can do more of driving the enemy back than what we can all our lives without praise. Can I have an amen? He's speaking to those that don't have the ability. He's talking about sucklings and babes. He said, even when babes and sucklings praise me, it will cause them to steal the enemy. The word steal means silence. It means to shut them up. It means to quieten them. Wouldn't you like to look at your enemy sometimes and just say, shut up! Come on. Am I the only one that does that crazy kind of stuff? You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, it says the devil like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Tells you to be sober because you're adversary the devil like a roaring lion. He's he's a roaring lion. You know what? I studied lions over that. An old lion, he don't have the, the mobility that he used to have. He, do, he can't maneuver like he did when he was young. And literally, they say that usually the young lionists are the ones that go out and catch prey and bring it back to the clan. And, it's, and the old lion, he's the boss. He sits around, he gets fat and lazy. He gets old and he can't move. And when he gets hungry and the lioness ain't feeding him properly, the only way that he can get his enemy or his uh, prey him being the enemy is to roar. And when he roars, it puts fright in the animal. And the animal freezes. It pauses. It can't move because it's frightened. And then the old lion pounces on him and kills him. And you know what? The Lord spoke to me and he said, when the old lion roars trying to put fear in you, praise God. Right in the midst of it, you know what you're to do? When, when the enemy roars, open your mouth and say, well, praise the Lord. When he starts his accusations and his belittlement and his ridicule and his mockery, just stand in the face of opposition and say, well, praise the Lord. Well, hallelujah. Don't get in a fight with him. The Bible tells you to agree with your adversary. Even the Michael the archangel, when you're not even making a railing accusation, he's powerful. But I'm here to tell you, when we begin to praise him, something happens. Our text says praise will not only silence your enemy, but it will give you strength to overcome your enemy. I got a little illustration I'm going to do. Come up here, guys. I hope we've tried to practice it in my home. We'll see how it goes. Hallelujah. I got three demonic presents here. You can tell two of them. Now, this one is in disguise. These, you can tell they're ugly. But that nerves me. How could she represent a demon? I don't know. She's she just uh, in a, a, a deception. But here's a little young man. This stage represents he's in his promised land. He's in Canaan, and he's trying to walk out his faith. And he's trying to go throughout the land picking up the fruit. He's trying to receive the promises that God's given him. He's trying to get everything that God says is yours. But the problem of it is we got giants in the land. We've got opposition in the land. So little Jedediah, who represents a, a, a young man of God, a babe and a suckling, he's going to try to get through this stage in order to get everything God's got for him. But watch what happens.
Okay, Jed, you can shut down. You've showboated long enough. <laughs> Took my sermon away from me. That's exactly how it works. Did you not notice how they were saying, you're not healed, you're a nobody. Who do you think you are? They're ridiculing. And he puts his little hands up and they keep ridiculing. But the louder he got, the quieter they become. And finally, they were silenced by his praise. But notice, even though the opposition kept, was there, he fought it. He just kept praising and he, until he drove them away. We've lost that art in Pentecost. We've lost that ability to do that in the body of Christ. The first little bit of opposition that comes, we fall apart. Come on, somebody. Our text says that when we praise the Lord, it stops the avenger. Jehoshaphat was a prime example of that. God tells him it's time for you to go to battle, but you don't go. I'm going to set an ambush up against your enemy, but you don't do it with your warriors, and you don't do it with spears and shields and, and swords and all the armory of, of warfare. You don't even put your warriors out there. You get your praisers out there, and you put them out front. You get a trumpeter out there, and you know what? The, trumpet, the trumpeter didn't have to go and whack people over the head with a trumpet. They just begin to play the music, and they begin to praise, and God set an ambush up and destroyed the enemy me. We have lost the art of our praise. When God was delivering David from the Philistines, he told David, listen to the sound of the rushing of the wind and the mulberry trees. And in that scripture, he said a word that caught my attention that I never seen before. But he says in the middle of it, he says, when you hear the sound and the mulberry trees, that they, then thou shalt bestir thyself. I said, what in the world does the word bestir mean? I looked it up in the original text, and it says that he said it means make a physical or mental effort, exert or rouse oneself. In other words, praise is more than an emotion. Praise is more than a feeling. It's more than an energy. It's sometimes an expression of faith without feeling. It is an action without unction. It doesn't always have to have an impulse or an urge to act upon it's not always a jolt of electricity or a brief spiritual current of force upon the body or a driving, compelling feeling producing the act of praise. If that's the only time that we praise God, we've missed it altogether. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we have to muster up praise. Sometimes we have to stir ourselves. Sometimes we have to arouse ourselves. Sometimes we have to put forth the effort. It's called a sacrifice of praise. When little Jedediah was standing up here, and he's in the promised land, he's in Canaan, but the giants, are, you think he felt like praising God? Oh, there's the promise out there, but there's these giants that he's looking at. He's a little bitty guy. Do you think he always fell up? No, no. But the more he praised it, the more he got into it. And the more he got into it, the more the enemy was silenced. And the more the enemy was driven away. This is why that Paul exhorted us in Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. Speaking to yourselves. Let's just stop right there. I want to tell you, when you look at Kit Miller at a red light, or you look at him driving down the road, or you see him in his office and no one in there and I'm talking, and you say, that man's gone crazy. He's talking to himself. You bet I am. The Bible says, speak unto yourselves. David encouraged himself in the Lord when he was facing his enemies. And the way he done it, he had self-talk. Sometimes I can give myself a good talking to. Sometimes I have to say, Kent, get a hold of yourself. Kent, don't punch him in the nose. Come on. Sometimes I have to put on, sometimes I have to talk my way into praising God. It ain't always easy. The other night I was laying there on the couch and I just felt, like that I needed to do a devotion just 
uh, turn the television off. It's way up in the middle of the night. And it was going on probably 1231 o'clock. And I thought, you know what? The Lord's just making me have a devotion. It was hard. I began to, come on, Kent. You know when the Lord gives you that feel. And I got in there and I got to studying and I got to praying. And then before long, I just said, okay, Lord, you want me to pray? It was hard. But it was going on 2 o'clock by that time, 2.30. And all of a sudden, just something come in that room. Something happened in that room. Oh, I want to tell you, these are speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Make a melody in your heart of the Lord. Sing and praise the Lord. That little song that I sung to you, I don't know why I couldn't remember the first uh, uh, verse of it because I sing it all the time. I sing songs like, uh, like um, Heaven's Jubilee. I sing uh, just a little talk with Jesus. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. He will. And I, I sing those kinds of songs. I, I, I sing all kinds of songs. Speaking to myself, building myself up in the most holy faith. Giving thanks always. Say always. There it is again. For all things. Now, oh, I am to give thanks and praise and sing always for all things. Why, it's my victory. Can I have an amen? What we need is uninhibited praise without restraint, expressing our devotion to God at all times. Just because there's opposition and the atmosphere isn't always charged and there's a pushback from the enemy and from the principalities of the air, that does not mean that we haven't arrived and that we are short of the promises of God. Sometimes we miss victory because we quit praising way too soon. I remember in the old days, Back when I was a young man, I, I remember sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes on a Sunday night or even a Sunday morning, we'd begin to get to praising the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, it was sometimes a war. Sometimes there wasn't any feeling behind it whatsoever. You just done it as an act of faith. You've done what Ephesians tells you to do right in the face of the principalities. They're mocking, they're ridiculing. You're saying, I'm not paying no attention to you. I just praise the Lord. I just, and all of a sudden, you begin to break that atmosphere. Sometimes it's a war, honey, and sometimes it takes time. Our problem is we got to get out by noon or we're upset. We don't know how to, we're always talking about, buddy, you need to learn how to pray through. Well, that's true. But you also need to learn how to praise through. What's happened to the praise through? What's happened on those Sunday nights that the Spirit of God would come upon a congregation? We get to praise the Lord. It'd be midnight. Sometimes we'd, at midnight, we'd get out and we'd start to leave, and none of us wanted to leave because the atmosphere was energized by the presence of God. Oh, we're getting so lazy, and we're getting on timetables, and we're on a fast food mentality. Give it to me right now, or we don't want it. And I got things to do, and God's put second rate, and we don't want to put him on the high priority list of our lives. And somehow we come in, treat him like a, Sandy, a Santa Claus in the heavens, and give me when I want it, how I want it, and if you don't, I'll walk out on you. I'll leave. I'll leave the atmosphere. But I'm here to tell you this old preacher saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. The palace is about to learn the art of praising through again. Won't you just stand and let's get to doing practice. Would you just practice right now? Just begin to praise him. Keep it up. You know what you're doing right now? You're making the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness. You're making them nervous. 
Holy Ghost, have your way. Just sit down. I'm, I'll, be, I'll be done in just a second. The giants is nothing more than evidences that we've arrived to our promise. It's silencing our enemy. The Bible makes it clear in Psalms 148, which is one of the greatest exhortations of praise that there is. There's more than 14 verses of Scripture that reveal expressions of multiple entities praising God in that chapter. 14 verses. I'm not going to read them because of time. But verses 7 and 8 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you dragons, in all depths. Fire, hell, snow, vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. You just read over that stuff and sometimes you don't pay attention to what he's saying. And that whole chapter is designed and exhorted to praise God. Here he says, fire and hell, snow and vapor, stormy wind, praise him, fulfilling his word. Fire's hot, hailstones are cold. Snow is falling flake and vapor is rising steam. So what the psalmist is saying here, you have to praise him when the fire's falling and you have to praise him when the enemy's throwing a bucket of cold water or a bucket of ice upon the atmosphere. You're to praise him when it's hot and dripping and you're to praise him when it's cold and indifferent. Come on, somebody. You have to praise him when you're compelled by the Spirit and you gotta praise him when you can't even detect the Spirit around. You have to praise him in the good times. You got to praise him in the bad times. You have to praise him in victory. You got to praise him to get the victory. You have to praise him when you feel like it. You got to praise him when you don't feel like it. Can I have an amen? He also says, praise him, moon and stars of light. Praise him, sun and heavens. The moon and the stars represent night. Speaks of darkness. And he also says, the sun, which speaks of a day. We're to praise him at noonday. There's a scripture that even declares that noonday. We're to lift our voices. And then at midnight, it was Paul and Silas. We're to praise him in the darkness. We're to praise him in the light. We're to praise him at noon. We're to praise him in, in, in the nighttime. I'm here to tell you, it don't matter what kind of opposition or atmosphere that we're in, we are to learn how to praise the Lord. When you're faced with impossibilities, praise the Lord. When you come face to face with your adversary, praise the Lord. When you come up against a mountain, it's time to praise Praise the Lord. When your backs are against the wall, it's time to praise the Lord. You have to do exactly opposite of what the flesh is telling you to do. You have to go against the natural mind and start operating in your spiritual mind. You have to have spiritual disciplines. And it's time that we stir ourselves. We are in promise. We're to arouse ourselves. We're to put forth an effort. It's time that we shut the mouths of our enemy. It's time that we steal the adversary. It's time that we put a clamp on the, our enemy's name calling. We're to shut the mouth of our enemies. It's time for us to shut him up. It's time for him to close their mouths to their ridicule and their belittlement and their condemnation and their accusations and their lies and their deception that they speak over our lives. It's time to praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth praise the Lord. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let the kings of the earth and all people, let all the judges of the earth, both young men and and maidens and old men and children. Let them praise the Lord for his name is excellent. His glory is above the heavens. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the poor. Praise him, O you moon, you stars. Praise him, you angels. Praise him and on and on and on. Can I have somebody here stand to their feet and give God praise and honor and glory? Praise him. Come here, 
here, Jedediah. Come here, Jedediah. You mighty men of out, tell them to. Praise the Lord. 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 Come here, Jim Libert. Tell them what to do. Praise the Lord. Lift up your hands and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Praise God. Come here, Andy Praise ye the name of the Lord. Lift up his voice today. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give him praise. Now you've seen something kind of odd. Jim's a general Baptist preacher, but he's praising the Lord. Can I have an amen? Okay. Laura, where you at? Where, I seen Laura a while ago. I thought she was here. Maybe I'm seeing things. Laura McDaniels, oh, you're over here. Where, I thought you was right there. Laura, come here, Laura. Here's a woman that, that can't, can't at times hardly speak because of oxygen and fighting what COVID. This is what she's going to do. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. She was in the hospital all plugged up and couldn't talk and COVID was about to take her life. And she got filmed. Somebody had filmed her and she was sitting there saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Look where she's at. What had it done? It stealed the mouth of the enemy that says, you're not going to make it, Laura. You're dying, Laura. You think God's going to hear you, Lord? Lord, God don't do miracles anymore. Lord, you're had. You've went too far. Your lungs are shot. The doctor says, there's no hope. These lungs, they need to transplant. You know, all that stuff was going through her mind. But what was the difference? She just kept praising the Lord. And then one, one, somebody else come in and said, did you see this? I said, what? And it was her. I don't remember the song, but I know one of the songs that she sung in my home church when we were younger. It's my desire. And I, I mean to tell you, she began to sing. She began to sing them songs, and I got to crying. I said, here's a woman that one moment was a thread away from death. But I want to tell you, either she's going to live by praise or she's going out with a bang of praise. And she praised the Lord. Can I, hallelujah. I, I, I know it's 12 o'clock. 12, actually, one minute to 12. I just want us to do something just for a few minutes. If it breaks out, fine. If it don't, we're setting up the stage to cheerleading to God. I want everybody to come forward that can. Real fast, come on. Don't be ashamed. And I want you to give uninhibited praise. I, 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 you got cares? Put them aside. Put your cares. Don't let your cares dictate your praise. Don't let your problems and your diet steal your mouth. It's not a time to be quiet.
Yes. Get a little radical in your praise. Hey, Yep, it's there. Come on, lift your voice. Don't let him intimidate you. Go ahead, John.
If Daniel can praise him in the lion's den, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can praise him in a fiery furnace, if Paul and Silas can praise him in a prison being beaten, shackled, then surely we can learn to praise him. We can steal the mouths of our enemy and quieten the avenger. We can push him out. Folks, you are in the land of promise if you're a believer. Calvary has purchased you your provisions of freedom. Everything you have desire of is in hand's reach. But don't listen to the giants. Don't pay attention to the problem. They'll speak things that's half-truths. You're too little, which is true. But the problem of it is, when you begin to praise God, though I'm in, uh, unable, God comes and fights my battle for me because I put him first. I praise him. I magnify him. I've not always lived this. There's been times I've grabbed and complained, and he said, shut that mouth of doubt. And you know what? That's when you just really want to be mad. But there's truth behind it. Quit laying there feeling sorry for yourself. Praise the Lord. I mean, you don't always understand what I'm going to Praise the Lord. When Jenna died, I was a little bitty baby. I mean, small. There's just something in him. He was little, and I'd say, man, God's got greatness for that child. He'd lift them little hands. He'd praise the boy. Praise the boy. Couldn't understand him. He's praising the Lord as an infant. We can learn by that. Like the little girl, the little daughter of Paul Kahn. They was at a wedding and everybody's passing out these helium balloons and hers got loose and it went up and hit a light bulb, boom, and it come down and it went like that. She picked that old raveled up, blowed up balloon and took her to her daddy and said, here daddy, fix it, and walked off. She believed he had the capability of fixing it. She wasn't worried about the blowed up balloon. She didn't cry. She didn't, I doubt will fix that. God will take care of you if you will honor him. Put him first. He can't work in the midst of doubt, murmuring, complaining, attitudes of feeling sorry for ourselves, griping, or even the lack just of being slothful, not doing anything. Put forth praise. I promise you we're, we're having the biggest break, I almost said going to, we're having the biggest breakout we've ever had in our history. We're experiencing it right now. Now praise the Lord for it, we'll leave, amen? Give him praise for that. May the Lord bless you. Go out rejoicing, go out praising. God's got your back. Be not afraid, be of good courage. The Lord be with you in Jesus' name. God bless you.